1: Boy, the nap that I just took right before I got back on—like, I probably would not have woken up in time if Rich hadn't knocked on my door and said that he was ordering from Long John Silver's and asked if I wanted anything.
0: Jesus Christ!
1: I think he's getting delivered. I don't know. It's gonna be a while. LJS.
0: It's cool maybe? that that um all of these companies are still willing to facilitate diarrhea in hell. <laughs>
1: Well, we're trying to recreate a sense of normal, right? <laughs> <laughs> Diarrhea <laughs> is not normal.
0: but the- Well, for rich. You know. <laughs> if, if
2: it's not going, it's staying. So you got to pick one. Let's cut over to Travis. Hmm. Travis, you are in the apothecary shop. You've just shared a drink with Margaret over the first of your heartbreaks. It burns your lips and tongue with bittersweet notes. And as you experience that burn, you also experience the fresh and raw heartbreak of losing Margaret once more. As you swallow, the feeling passes into the dull, nostalgic ache of a healed wound that cut very deep and the burning finally fades and you feel something new there's a part of yourself that has opened up and you instinctually feel that in this moment you can accept that loss or you can choose to hold on to that pain and keep it close to you now what do you mean this doesn't mean you would forget margaret or the pain of losing her uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Travis's coping mechanism for the longest time, at least from my perspective, is that he doesn't tell anyone about this, at least not the people closest to him, and those are very few and far between. In essence, you play this particular trauma very close to your chest. You keep the feelings around, but you don't really engage with them or process them. In confessing to your heartbreak here, you've brought it out into the open in a way you haven't in over a hundred years you have an opportunity right now to do the difficult work of confronting it or shy away
0: i i think travis is afraid to confront it because i think he's worried if he does he'll forget her margaret
2: places a hand on your shoulder and looks into your eyes No matter how you choose to do this, it will be the right thing for you. But know that nothing could happen to take that love away from you. How do you know that? Mr. Madigo? there are very few people who have spent 200 years wandering sphere, mourning the same lost love. Your devotion has stretched further than any mortal man could hope to pledge. I imagine there are fewer still who have encountered their lover's face once more on someone else. I am here with you because I believe you deserve to live from more than pain. And the rarity of our meeting cannot be ignored.
0: I believe the luminaries believe you deserve that too. Well, I've been dwelling on it for 200 years, and if everything goes according to plan, I won't have to do it much longer.
2: Well, I suppose that's true. And that is also who you are. Margaret smiles, and you can tell that it's a sad smile, but a smile nonetheless. The taste of the drink fades completely, and you find that the sadness of the memory settles with you, but it does not bite or sting the way it used to. It sits on your shoulders like a heavy blanket, something that gives you weight and holds you down but provides you a familiar and melancholy sort of comfort. And that, Mr. Madigo, is the first heartbreak. Care to try for another, Margaret says with a wink.
0: Hmm. How many did he need again? Was it two or three?
2: Three. He
0: needs two oh. left. Woof. Jeez.
2: What I imagine will make this a difficult task for a man like you is that from what I gather, so far your method for dealing with this type of heartbreak and tragedy is to pretend you are the type of being that is not affected
0: by those things. Well, a wise man once told me, Travis, you should fake it until you make it. And I was right when I said it to myself.
3: Shut up! God!
2: (laughs) (laughs) I fear that you find too much wisdom in your
0: own words. It's actually a common affliction for many men. <laughs> I fear that others don't find enough in my words, and that's sort of how we end up in the, sor- the pickles that we, that we do.
2: Hmm.
1: I'm sorry, I just wanted to break in here and inform you, my patrons, <laughs> that I have achieved sexual
0: congress with my turtle wife, as we discussed before.
4: <laughs> anyone was worried...
0: Uh thank god thank god someone remembered is all i've got to say
1: someone hasn't had much do in the little bitches want to kind of insert a little bit of levity then i'll be on my way thank you for to to you my two patrons i'll be on my way
3: yes
2: is there jail here
3: (laughs) Man, you don't want the answer to that. Travis will be first in jail.
2: My problem is I don't think there could be a jail that is severe or secure enough to deal with that.
3: <laughs> no one can
1: catch me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <a laughs> I'm too fast. <two-faced. laughs> anyway, he's not there. He died. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, Travis begins to, to steal... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Travis begins to steal everything on every shelf (laughs) have you lost anyone I've lost everyone over and over again well then it seems to me you should have a sea
2: of heartbreaks that you could confess to me as part of this spell Margaret pauses as she takes a moment to regard Travis seriously what I believe you are struggling with what I believe is preventing you from calling up one of those memories is that if you admit to me that the loss of these people is a heartbreak, you will have to confront the fact that you were hurt. But these losses do mean something to you, and we both know that. You will mourn your wife's passing. You've proven that, and you keep that pain quite close because you're terrified of it being rendered meaningless. Travis Madigo, you have carried your love's face in your heart for 190 years. How could anything render that meaningless? Least of all admitting to the fact that you can be hurt by other things. I just feel like I owe it to her. Margaret places a gentle hand on Travis's chin. Do you honestly believe she would want that for you? Well, no, of course not, but... (sighs) Maybe I am asking the wrong questions. Perhaps I should be asking where you find the audacity to live against the wishes of the woman you once loved. Don't push your problems onto her.
0: Well, we never discussed it specifically, so technically... I suppose I don't know what she would. Believe it or not, most
2: married couples fail to have a conversation about whether or not they wish their significant other would spend 190 years in self-imposed misery in the event of their passing. Because to all right-thinking people, the answer is obvious. And you know it. This is a defense mechanism, Mr. Madigo. And a poor one at that. A mundane psychologist would be able to spot it.
0: (laughs) You... You know, you know, you're saying that you're supposed to help me here, but all you do is, is you're, just a bu- you're just a bully. You're just a bully. I am not a psychologist. I am a black lily. A yeah, mundane, mundane black lily. A mundane black lily. No one is making you do this, <laughs> Mr.
2: Madigo. As I said, I am a black lily. I see and I know. If having two hands and being able to die is important to you, there are other ways that can be achieved. But they all take magic. And based on what I've seen of your emotional constitution, I believe this path will make you most comfortable. But if you truly believe that you know better than I, then I am prepared to bow to your expertise. But I would caution you against trusting the wisdom of a man who has spent 190 years crying the same tears while denying that they stain his face.
0: Oh, she's being spicy. I rarely cry. There's a
3: person in the back of the bar that's like, "Oh
2: shit! <laughs> this is this is even better because this isn't a bar. This is oh, that's right, <laughs> apothecary. <laughs> <laughs> apothecary. That's yeah, someone right. just
0: browsing the shelves like, oh, <laughs> yeah.
3: Ooh. There's a guy that like looks up. He's like, "Oh, oh shit!" and then just goes back to sorting.
0: <laughs> Animals don't have tear ducts. Hmm.
2: There's a good boy. I much prefer it when you're being cute. You should be aware, though, that the lies you tell yourself will not work on me. If you truly are the type of man who will continue to believe the lies you tell yourself after our interaction, you are free to do that. But while I am here, and while we are connected, Margaret runs her thumb along her pinky, you will have to face the truth. A familiar, gentle, sad smile returns to Margaret's face. Now, if I have made myself clear and you're comfortable to continue, tell me, who have you lost and how did it break your heart?
0: You know, one of the things that I've appreciated begrudgingly about Gable is that I know no matter what, I can't lose them. And that's why, why I gave them the opportunity to be my friend. But along the way, in becoming friends with them, I picked up some stragglers who are less immortal than Gable and myself. And one of them um, is no longer here. Becoming friends with him was the first time in a long time did i let myself get close to anyone that i knew i could lose your first
2: heartbreak was someone you had committed your heart and soul to you are a living artifact of that relationship but for this one because you were not wed to that person i will need something of theirs to bind the spell and focus it do you have a keepsake perhaps a letter or a gift this person gave you it can be something very small and
0: seemingly insignificant (laughs) Margaret I've got the ultimate keepsake (laughs) Travis pulls out Dref's heart
2: (laughs) Uh, Uh, Margaret drops the bottle that she's holding (laughs) (laughs) what
0: on earth is that you know it's it's a it's his heart Lumen's I how long ago did you lose this person Not long but for me it's hard to tell because it feels like it's been a long time but I think really <laughs> it's no, it's been
1: like a week a like week
0: a <laughs> yeah a month oh a month It okay. feels like ages a month <laughs> You are a man who has confessed to me that in 200
2: years of life, you've had maybe seven friends, two of which are living. And you've just confessed that there is a third secret friend who died maybe a month ago? And now I find that you walk around carrying his heart in your pocket— To all the souls of Nordia, I introduce
0: to you Travis Madigo, noted guy who is doing just fine. It's not a... The heart isn't a sentimental thing. It's... Forgive me. I don't know how I didn't see it before. You're doing just
2: fine on your own, and you don't need any support or emotional guidance.
0: Please forgive me for being so presumptuous. Here's the thing. I know a lot of the other stuff I said was you know lies to protect myself but this one really (laughs) this one is for real because i look if i was going to keep something of his as a keepsake it would have been i don't know one of his uh stupid stethoscopes or something but i kept this because he um you know knew magic and i thought it might come in handy as sort of a a token or a uh, uh, a useful device in channeling his abilities and and wouldn't you know it it has so you know put what that's a that's a w for for old tm <laughs> <laughs> tm tm tm
2: uh... <laughs> margaret sighs and hands shaking fumbles around for another bottle on the shelves She resets the shot glasses
0: on the counter. Place the heart behind these. I have a serious question. And it's not, again, it's not a sentimental thing. It's a logistical thing. Will I get to keep the heart when this is over?
2: Yes, of course. I I would never take something that this simply binds us to his spirit and memory in this moment.
0: Okay, good. Because it also binds me to... uh, Uh... colleague <laughs> <I was laughs> say, what's he gonna say
1: Huh? Hum, hum.
2: you're into some freaky stuff
0: <laughs> well no here's the thing <laughs> we can get into it later i imagine you'll eventually find out our whole deal <laughs> so we don't have to get into it now but i just foresee it happening <laughs> that you kind of know our thing eventually i'll try
2: to contain my curiosity she pours a mixture into the shot glasses, and you can feel that electric humming in the air of her magic-gathering power. What was this person's name? I knew him as Treff Wormwood. And, in that moment, as you say the words, the heart beats. Uh. <laughs> it is soft and even. Margaret holds eye contact with you, and it is deep and true she reaches for the shot glass and nods to you
0: to reach for your own uh travis grabs the glass
2: as you grab the glass you can feel another hand on it
0: Mm. he like lifts the glass to margaret to like cheers
2: and you know the glass is lighter than it should be as you bring it up to drink once more the alcohol touches your mouth and it burns And at the front of the burn, you feel the time you had with Dref. You feel the fun you had making fun of him and his various proclivities and personality. You then feel sadness, the regret of the times where he tried to reach out, and you pulled away. You hear the words echoing in your mind, I think of you all as my friends. As the burn rolls on, you remember the man he was at the last moments of his life as he boldly stood against death and cast you out from a cold and frightening place so that you may live and he would die. You are awash in a swirling sense of loss and guilt. And as the burn fades away, unlike Margaret's death, which you just processed, you are not confronted with an opportunity to either accept the loss or carry it with you. Instead, you feel an embrace one from the arms of a person who did not spend much of his life embracing many people, and is not
0: familiar with the custom. I, uh, I couldn't save him either. With
2: all people, Mr. Madigo, no matter how much we love them, or how hard we try, there will come a time when we are unable to save them. The feeling of that embrace starts to fade a little bit, as the beating of the heart slows. The embrace becomes an all but imperceptible pressure as the heart finally stops and becomes an inert thing once more. You can feel that there is still power
0: inside it, but it no longer moves. I'm, I'm just thankful that I won't have to outlive my other mortal friend.
2: Well, certainly if you're a man who keeps his promises, then you definitely won't. Hey heroes, it's James, your game master. Welcome to the mid-roll. Normally here on Campaign Skyjacks, we're providing you a bit of relief from the outside world. But especially this week, I wanted to take a moment and refocus us on the important issues at hand. One of the missions of Skyjacks is to tell an anti-colonial narrative. And you can draw a direct line between police violence in the United States and colonialism. I know for a lot of people right now, the world is a scary and difficult place to be. But there is absolutely a privilege in being able to describe that as a right now problem. Now as a white man, it is definitely not my place to lecture everyone on race. So instead, I want to focus our audience on proactive things that you can do to support the Black Lives Matter movement. Number one is contributing to bail funds. Thousands of people have been arrested across the country for protesting the treatment of black citizens. We want everyone who is arrested back out on the streets so they can continue making their voices heard. We've provided a link to a resource that will help you find local bail funds so you'll be able to help people in your area. Just check the show notes. The other thing you can do is call your representatives. We realize not everybody has the ability to go out and protest, especially in light of the pandemic. But you can still support this cause. That means calling and writing your representatives, and not just your state and federal representatives, your local municipal representatives. Just like your state reps, your mayor's office likely has a number that you can call. Just a quick call, even leaving a message, to tell your mayor and their staff that you support the Black Lives Matter movement, police reform, defunding, and demilitarizing police will go a long way. The protests happening right now are really important, but they'll only be effective if we can back them up with sustained pressure. And that means people like you and me stepping up and advocating directly to our representatives, even if we can't be out in the streets. Normally in the mid-rolls, we thank our patrons, but this week I really want to emphasize if you are going to send money somewhere, we would like you to send it to a bail fund, or donate it directly to the Black Lives Matter organization. Thanks, heroes. Let's cut over to Gable. Gable, where are you at, you gorgeous thembo?
1: Yeah. <laughs> you tell me, Gable, buddy. Gable, how you doing? <laughs> so last we saw Gable, they were in a pickle. Yeah, a little bit of a pickle. Um, a little bit of a pickle. I think we haven't been in enough brigs. Yeah. Lately, I believe Gable is in the brig of the... Il Sangue Dio?
2: Il Sangue Dio.
1: Il Sangue Dio, Japan. Japan! (laughs) And that's where Gable is, laying on their back. I don't know if they got knocked out.
2: I'll let you. I don't think they got knocked out. I think it was the sort of thing where you were suddenly surrounded by too many people to really resist. I mean, it's not like you couldn't take them, but it would be a lot of a hassle. You might get really hurt. And frankly, you've got bigger concerns than this, because you know you are a short period of time away from the mariner and his drowned Mm -hmm. sailors showing up. And they're going to try and drag everyone in this town into the hateful sea. So you probably want to be at 100% for that.
1: Yeah, that's the things to do.
2: Priorities. Yeah, Yeah, even being a thembo with a bit of a grudge to bear, you've got priorities. (laughs) They probably walked you through town in a procession in a way that wouldn't be immediately obvious to anyone observing that you were actually under arrest or their prisoner. If you like, I could draw a luminary to see if anyone on the Uhuru noticed.
1: Yes, please. Okay. I don't think I ever pull luminaries.
2: Ooh, Ooh, the rake.
1: Oh, interesting. He's I don't think we've gotten the rake before.
2: Bad, nasty man. Oh, no. But what does he mean? <laughs> if we have, we've only had him yeah. once before. The rake, or the wolf. Greed, appetite, cruelty, and resentment. The rake almost always suggests danger. While desire is natural, the rake makes it dark. Something base is being pursued relentlessly at the expense of all other things. This is the sort of desire that hurts people. And destroys beauty. Liz, the question that I have for you is, did someone see you or not? Because no matter what, the result is going to be bad. Hum.
1: Is there someone on the Uhuru who has a particular, like, bloodlust against the church? That we might not know their backstory yet, but, like, it just takes one small thing to set
2: them off. Ooh. I don't think yet. Uh, We have Wendell who has a specific grudge against the red feathers, but there's no one else that I can remember specifically hating the church. Okay. But if you'd really like to get someone who hates the church involved, we could establish that for someone's character right now.
1: Let's just say like one of the children, an as yet unnamed child came to the Uhuru in a way that was escaping a spate of violence or particularly a church official like ruin their family
2: yeah we could do that maybe the church Uh, actually you know what i want one of
0: you to play this character
2: so johnny
0: yes this person what has the church done to them could they have what's the thing called where they uh like (laughs) like eminent domained Their house.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I like that. The church used whatever influence they have to purchase, quote unquote, away the land that your family had for generations at a cut rate, which essentially left this person's family homeless and destitute. Shortly after that, and because of that event, your family, uh, your, your parents ended up in a debtor's prison and unable to care for you, which left you orphaned. And then you were picked up at a port by the Uhuru. But of course, you've never been able to forget what the church did to you. And you've spent the time that most of the Uhuru crew has spent at the festival glaring daggers at Il Sangue Dio and imagining your revenge. Tyler, can you tell us what this person looks like?
3: the The kid, yeah, the yeah. kid. Okay, um, how old are they? My knee jerk is like, what's the oldest that we're able to? Th- what's the age cutoff for Oromar's like child program aboard the Huru?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know if there's a cutoff per se. Uh, they're just teaching a trade, but certainly around like 13, Forty five or forty-five. That's around the time that they've mastered something that, you know, would be good enough to get them a job.
3: Okay. Yeah, well then, probably like 13 years old, super skinny and lanky, big old chip on their shoulder, and a ponytail.
2: All right. Perfect. Uh, What do we want
3: to name this person? But it's a ponytail that's high up, and it's it's got some hang time. Just wanted to okay. clarify that. It's
1: <laughs> <laughs> for the animatic, you know. Yeah. And the ponytail's very thick, too. very thick ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> it's holding back a lot. <laughs> Give me your world names, James. I know you have them in your world book. Oh my god, just just fucking... What delicious world-building names are inside <laughs> your document? Perhaps it will illuminate...
3: Give us the names, James.
1: James.
2: James. So. The names. What, the names, James, What it's given me. <laughs> Nimes, John. Nimes, John. So I was trying to find a random name generator to help me do this because naming people is impossible. And I wanted one that was just simple, but I ended up finding one that had like 10,000 different questions that I had to answer in order to get a result. But that result ended up being names that were popular in 1892. Excellent. Perfect. Uh, so tell tell me when you like one. We got Florence Jensen, we got Helen O'Neill, Ethel O'Moore, Mary Vaughn, Anna Eaton, Emma Gomez, Elizabeth Luna, Liz, Minnie Singleton,
0: Mina. <laughs> <laughs> Minnie, Minnie, Minnie Singleton. Minnie, Minnie Singleton. singleton. <laughs> Minnie singleton.
3: <laughs> wow. We didn't the, the man. Just make that first. <laughs>
2: Hey, I was reading the list as it came.
3: Oh, no, I mean, like, the computer generator should know that that one's going (laughs) to win out. It's Minnie, it's Minnie. That's going to be the one.
2: (laughs) So we join Minnie in her most important daily activity, as she watches the movements of people going on and off Il Sanguidio. Minnie keeps a journal. Uh, Maybe a diary, uh, but I I think it's broader than that, kind of like bullet journaling. And one of the things that she has started tracking is who goes on and who goes off Il Sanguidio at every hour that she can afford to monitor it. She's trying to get a sense of how many people are aboard and what their schedules are, always marking down who goes on and who goes off. So Minnie takes note of this procession, and especially takes note of the fact that Lorenzo Orenzi is leading this procession that contains a good deal of the church forces that were stationed in Nordia. And all this attention allows her to notice the fact that they are trying to hide, that Gable is in the center of this procession. Liz, I need to know from you what is something kind that Gable has done for Minnie.
1: How long uh so Minnie can write? Minnie can write. Minnie was below deck one day on a particularly stormy night in the air and was trying to work through some workbooks, some prac some writing practicing workbooks, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden a wind or the the rolling of the ship knocked the light out and she was so sad that because she was she's trying to work on something that she really loves so she went and asked someone if they could pass, give her some oil to fill her lamp again and no one would and mm-hmm. then finally Minnie was just kind of like on the deck despondent trying to figure out like what am i going to do i wanted to get all this done and gable seeing this from I think the crow's nest kind of walked down on their way during a shift change Mm -hmm. and just handed her a pack of matches, which is not a lot, but it's enough to get through the night.
2: The thing about small acts of kindness is it never seems like a lot at the time. All small actions seem so inconsequential, which is probably why there aren't enough small acts of kindness in our world. But in a world that had dealt blow after blow to Minnie Singleton, receiving those matches at a time of profound sadness meant everything. She's gone from church officials, people who are supposed to be spreading messages of kindness and compassion, taking her home from her, which in turn took her family from her, to her wandering the streets of a callous metropolis, thinking that all the warmth and kindness in the world had died alongside the only people who ever loved her, until a group of pirates and outlaws descended from the sky and searched the city for people like her. People who were lost, lonely, and cold. Someone grabbed her and presented her to this crew of pirates. At first, she was resigned, ready to leave the world that had been so terrible. And then she met Spit. (laughs) Spit, who is a horrible, stinky man. (laughs) (laughs) But despite his innumerable and severe flaws... Spit made the promise to her that she would be cared for, and something about his eyes made her believe him. Then she was presented to Captain Oromar Vale, who with the regal elegance of the ancient kings assured her that aboard the Uhuru she would be safe, and that after her time here she would be able to make her own life for herself. And so she worked aboard the ship swabbing decks, dusting cargo, and washing starlight, while learning letters, numbers, and knots. And her reward for each day's effort was precious as gold. For each day, she found small and casual kindness. But for whatever reason, the most significant kindness that many found came from Gable, the somewhat aloof and imposing warrior who would soon become the helmsperson of the ship, taking note of her suffering and providing to her what she needed when she needed it. This act, upon the backs of all the others, reawoken something in Minnie that she thought long dead. A belief that life was worth living, and that people were worth sharing it with. It is this act that inspired Minnie to start keeping a list— A list of people that she hopes to one day repay, that she repeats to herself at mornings and at night in a mockery of the church's cold prayers. And Gable is on that list. And Gable was also in that procession, held prisoner by the church, to be kept in the brig aboard Il Sanguidio. And Minnie is angry. So Gable, what's going on? How's them dig?
1: Probably like way too nice, right?
4: <laughs>
1: just like, oh, we have so much money. What are we going to do with it? We'll just make the brig nice. Put a nice bed in it. <laughs> that kind of thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think... Basically, the brig here, compared to most spaces on the Uhuru, is just much nicer. But the thing is, immediately outside the brig, you can see there are far more luxurious accommodations. Like, disgustingly luxurious. So the main kind of psychological punishment the church should come up with here is that you're not having it as nice as you could be.
1: God. That's a very rich people thing. Like, oh, but, uh, but you want this nicer thing? Hum, hum, hum.
2: You're on the bad chair. <laughs> the bad chair for naughty pirates. <laughs> Disgusting. On your way to the brig, walking through Il Sanguadío, you were overwhelmed with displays of opulence and excess. Everything about this ship is made bespoke, hand carved, designed to show off the luxury and power of the church. The Uhuru has boards and a frame that creak. Il Sanguidio does not. The Uhuru is covered in surfaces that have been scrubbed and rescrubbed bare, that have been finished and refinished, that have coat upon coat of flaked sealant, paint, and starlight, that in places, thanks to decades of maintenance, are thicker than wood. Everything aboard Il Sanguidio is new. Or only the sort of old that makes something more desirable and expensive. The interior is covered in silver decorations. There are also bottles of fine liquor that can be found seemingly around every corner. And the air is thick with too much sweet incense. The kind a family might scrape together to be able to afford a small morsel of for holidays. Here they burn so much so frequently that you feel as though you are about to choke. Perhaps the brig here isn't as terrible as it could be, but everything about Il Sanguidio offends you to your core. Oh. Mm. Mm. <coughs> I've got to say, uh, you make the captain very happy. Uh, you. you
3: Bye-bye. <laughs>
2: Hey, buddy, no, 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 you nailed it. my own
3: stupid, nailed word it. Oh, nailed oh, stupid words.
4: Oh, man. I mean, oh yeah, my God. obviously.
3: <laughs> James, I've been, wa- I've been watching you do, like, liggity-split characters for years. <laughs> you, br- <laughs> <laughs> it's you just like you one, broke.
1: one Italian man <laughs> has broken you.
3: Yeah. <laughs> one Italian
1: <laughs> uh, You make him a lacrimah very happy. Ugh. Can we get this over with, please? I'm just being, I'm sad about being stupid again.
2: Oh, I wish we could. I wish we could. Uh, we'll probably be holding you for a long time.
1: Okay. <laughs> no, but, like, really, when can we move this up? I talk to whoever I need to talk to, shake some hands, and then I get out of here?
2: Hmm, I don't think that's what's going to happen. What do you mean? I Ugh. think probably you're going to be taken, taken probably to a bishop, taken to a vox, maybe. Hmm. Mm. You work on your <laughs> hooroo. Could you say that again? <laughs> Hang on, I think I'm being replaced.
1: <laughs> Wait, no, Don't no, 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 I to to <laughs> oh, yeah, I to... no. I want to talk to you. Oh, yeah, it's Wario. No, I want to talk to you. You've already yeah. done Wario. No, I want to talk I'm to the bash. other one. <laughs> I know that I've met Wario. I want to talk to the other guy. Yeah, we
2: he died (laughs) (laughs) he died of regional dialectic morphosis (laughs) so Uh, this one's easier for you? I mean it's better it's not a there's no chance of an anti-defamation league coming after Wario. <laughs> Perhaps Nintendo Corp. <laughs> oh, it's
1: a, it's a discomfort thing, not a... Uh, I understand. Uh, well, Well, Wario, at least we've met before so we can cut out all the pleasantries. You and I both know that all we need to do, a little money needs to exchange hands, and then I can be on
2: my way. Well, but money has already changed hands. Our ship is taken down the tarp and it is already being placed over the Uhuru in exchange for you. (laughs)
1: But that was back when we were doing like a quote unquote prisoner, like... Uh, a fun prisoner, kind of like a captured the flag kind of thing, not a for real one what?
2: right this is not well not well, well, that was before we knew we had the helms person of the Uhuru in our clutches
1: <laughs> well um, i this is just really inconvenient for me. We have a, a lot of things going on, and I just didn't really want to reckon with this particular part of my emotions at this point, so if we could like. Just, I think you'll be a lot happier if I don't get mad. And if you don't get mad, you won't do that weird sound that you make. And... <laughs> no.
4: <ugh>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Please. So just, I don't know. I'll sit in the brig, I guess.
2: I mean, you are already in the brig. Well,
1: it's I'll sit like down now. I'll sit. That's. I'm just gonna... I'll, I'll sit... Is that what you want? You want? Is that what you want, Wario? Is that what you want me to do? Is sit? What, uh, I mean, oh look, I'm sitting down for Wario. <laughs> me, Gable Skyjacks, sitting down for Wario. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's my last name. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. <laughs> we use it for SEO purposes.
2: Oh, we cut back quickly to the scene where Gable is applying to be aboard the Uhuru, and they're asked their name, and they look around and they see the sky and like a set of jacks on the
3: ground. <laughs> Sees the Jackpox party pack. Per-
1: <laughs> stupidest person alive! Jesus Christ. Uh. I... uh, Gable's like throwing a temper tantrum. They're just going to like sit down and floof and frown.
2: (laughs) Cool. That makes sense. You're upset. What I want to know is, are you just going to sit around and wait for the situation to progress or are you going to do something? Because what I'm going to do is draw a luminary to see what Minnie's doing. And I'm going to do that no matter what, but you might be in a little bit of a different position if you decide to do something about your situation.
1: This is sort of a -a rope-a-dope situation, too. Like, it's not ideal. Gable certainly didn't mean for this to happen, but now is a good opportunity to find out, like, intel about the church and what they have. And kind of, like, Gable really doesn't know about this thing that is apparently so much a part of their life. So now they're trying to reckon this side with what they learned from
2: um, Hildred. Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh do you want to make a perception check?
1: I would love so. What's it what's the difficulty?
2: Uh that's what I'm trying to work out right now. Uh, we'll call it two red dice. Are you I'm inside the ship. (laughs) Uh, True. But what you're looking for right now is anything useful or interesting, if I understand it correctly. Yes. Basically, what's going to happen is whether you succeed or fail, you're going to find something. But if you roll badly, you're going to find bad things that make your situation more precarious or dangerous. And if you succeed, you might find some goodies. Okay.
1: Okay. At the moment, this role is statistically impossible because I only have one yellow die.
2: Uh, I mean, it's statistically unlikely, not impossible. (laughs) I would love to
1: upgrade it.
2: Yeah, why not? Uh, We can just figure out a different skill for you to use. Uh, You could cast a spell to look for something, uh, like make an arcane check. And instead of using your eyes, you're using magic.
1: Oh, okay. I'll do that. Yeah. Detecting magic instead. Okay
2: we know from the outside it was pushing back against you uh, but maybe from the inside and using arcane instead of divine you might find new results yeah. this is not much better but here we go
1: this is a despair right
2: no that's a threat i think or no wait that is a despair yeah
1: mm. cool yeah. <laughs> so i've got two successes two threats and a despair i don't know how that Shakes out.
2: Yeah, this is one of them complicated roles.
1: Do they just cancel out the successes?
2: Oh, no, 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 no. You actually succeed at this check, which means you do find something that will work to your advantage. There's a threat, so there's going to be something that makes your situation more precarious. And there's a despair, which means there's something here that is going to monumentally shift the stakes of this situation against you. Liz, is there something that you'd like to see out of this situation? Is there a discovery that would be interesting for you to make?
1: Would it be fucked up if... <laughs>
4: <laughs> spoiler redacted. Sorry, can't stick around. I've got a Zoom date.
2: Holy uh-huh. shit. Yeah, that is would that be fucked extremely fucked Ooh. up. <laughs> and cool, you can sp- though.
1: You could spoiler about that, though. Yeah. So I might not know what it is right now, but like that's kind of like messed up, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, Liz, that extremely rules. Uh, <laughs> okay. That extremely rules.
1: I would love if, like, that. that's edited, like, would that be fucked up if, spoiler, uh, <laughs> and then we come jump back.
2: <laughs> yeah, love that, love that. Uh, Casey, sorry about that. We love you. That's extremely cool, though. So what happens is you sit down while Wario is there kind of snickering to himself. <laughs> Wario. Wario. <laughs> I'm going to have a castle that's bigger than Mario's. (laughs) So Wario's there. He's doing his thing. And you take the time to look around and everything about this place sucks. Like you look up and in the interior of the brig written across the top of the door, there is a saying in the language of the divine church, something that says, think about what you've done. God. Ugh. Mm so there in these oppressive conditions you come to a decision and gable flickers open their eyes and as you do you get kind of a snapshot of the ship and the threat is that this is a very well armed ship whether or not lorenzo arenzi was taking this threat seriously he is armed in a ship that would be able to potentially dissuade a mariner attack there's lots of cannons gunpowder and monos here capable of going to these arms But the other threat is that you can see, sneaking onto the ship, climbing up the side, is Minnie Singleton from the Uhuru. And she is clutching a knife to her chest. And you can feel the murderous intent in her heart. You know that unless someone intervenes, she will take a life today. Which part of you thinks, that might not be that bad. (laughs) But I don't know that you've made a decision about that yet uh, with your moral compass. Oh, Bobby. Alright, so let's talk about the successes As you look around this ship, you also understand the people who are aboard right now and where they are, and you know that no one is really taking their job seriously, and those who are at their posts are only really there begrudgingly. Currently, in the captain's quarters, the quarters of Lorenzo, there is an Illimat game going. It's between him and some of the more senior acolytes who are accompanying him on this journey. Everyone there is smoking and drinking. And there are a good deal of people on duty right now who are doing the same, which frankly gives you a lot of opportunities. And then we come to the despair, which rests at the core of this ship. There you find something that is definitely familiar, but feels foreign. It is definitely powerfully supernatural. And whatever defenses that are on this ship are there because of whatever is at the heart.
1: So Gable, after casting the spell, comes back into themselves and for once in their life tries to think of what to do.
2: hmm This feels like a good time to cut over yes. to...
1: Cut away. I don't know what to do yet.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, we'll let you formulate stall, a plan. Stall,
3: stall for me.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, I'll have a grand plan. Stretch, stretch.
3: <laughs> Pull it like I'll Stretch
4: happy. it out.
1: <laughs>
4: Wah! Wah! <laughs>
1: The Wario Chorus. Sky <laughs> Jaxx.
5: See, you have returned, my friend, barring the bounty of hewn trees that will keep us warm through this omnipresent chill that seeks to seep into our very bones. Oh, <laughs> uh, You can just set it down over there and sit. Now, uh, remind me, where was I again? Ah, yes. The Black Audron. Well, yeah. let's see here. Well, the Black Audron comes next, you see. Now, I did not think we needed more ardrens after the success of the yellow and red ardrens, but one of my compatriots from my early adventuring days, a Miss Chantilly Seagal, thought that we might have a special need for another. Now, Chantilly was, as best as I could fathom, a practitioner of the arcane arts. Now, magic is a tricky subject, and one that I have attempted to avoid most of my life, And there are many in this world that spend their entire lives in its study and respect. And Chantilla rightly reminded me that those people deserve to have their requests of an arcane nature filled by us just as those that were in dangerous climes or remote locations. Chantilla also reminded me that I did not have even the first clue of what I would even need to do to safely transport magical items or volatile concoctions of a spectacular nature. She was right. I did not know the proper way to transport a reliquy or how to grasp the divine, as she were to say. So I readily agreed with her proposal, and we set about building the Black Audrin, the Aldrin of magic. Now, Chantilly was heavily involved in its construction, and she was the first captain of the Black Aldrin, which lifted from the shipyards almost three years to the day after the yellow aldrin. When Chantilla brought me her proposal route, I was amazed at the scope of what she wanted to accomplish. Big centers of community where magical traditions were strong, small remote centers of magical learning, even landmarks where there were no people at all, only what she called an epicenter of possible arcane significance. Each one meticulously planned out and detailed for her route. I then reminded her that she was supposed to also deliver mail. She then reminded me that she would and that I should mind my own business. I then reminded her that the Swiftwell courier service of which the skyship was being made was my business, and it escalated from there. When the dust settled, we had a good even split of places she wanted and places that I wanted. Neither one of us was happy with it, but for thin of Ronti, reminded me that that was what good negotiations were, a compromise. When it came time to staff the Black Aldrin and call up apprentices to be trained, Captain Chantilla told me that she had two major criteria. The first was caution. Magic, she told me, was not a horse you rode, but rather a river you stepped into and went along for the ride. You must be cautious and careful, she said, and never assume that the magic you are trying to wrangle is your friend. The second was, surprisingly, kindness. Chantilla always told me that magic meant power, and that power without kindness could lead to all sorts of great evil. So she looked for both caution and kindness in all of her apprentices. Now, Captain Chantilly has been retired as the captain of the Black Archer for about nigh on ten years now, and her replacement, Molden Foxkill, is, for lack of a better terms, wonderfully eccentric. They, or he, they are not particular when it comes to deciding between those two pronouns, apprenticed under Chantilly for roughly ten years, and many of her habits are now theirs, but Molden has brought his own flavor to the Black Archerin. They told me once that while they look for caution and kindness, they also look for a very important third criteria, curiosity. Nothing is ever found if you never want to look for it, they told me once. And that is a deep truth, my friend. But I do get so wary of them when they come to call. You see, Molden likes bugs. And I do not always find such creatures amenable to my nerves. Oh, would you look at that? Seem to be out of hot cider. Do you mind going and fetch me another cup before we finish up? After all, we only have one Aldrin left. The gray Aldrin, And that, that's something special. Come back quick.
2: Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter at at @campaignpod for updates
3: about live shows and other events we might be doing. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter.
1: And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles.
3: We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the One Shot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com.
2: You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast Paired. Travis Matago was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcast Dilettante Ball. I am James Damato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter, at One Shot RPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this production was composed and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find Arnie on Twitter at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. And you can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter, at Casey Pony, spelled C-A-S-E-Y, P-O-N-E-Y Or on his own podcast, Neoscum Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea Who can be found on Twitter at The world of Sphere was inspired in part By the music of the Decemberists And the card game Illimat Property of Together Studios The game used in this production is a modified version Of the Genesis roleplaying system That was created by a talented group of game designers Who were fired by a private equity firm Owning Fantasy Flight Games There are no kings Take flight, heroes.
1: Health to the strangers who've ever been kind, and once
0: for our friends n'ear to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.